Thanks for joining us this fourth week of my series, A New Beginning in a Brand New Year, what God wants to do for your life. Let's open with prayer. God, I thank you and I give you all the praise. And I know that you've orchestrated this moment. The person that's watching this right now, you've, you've been orchestrating this. So I'm asking that you'd pour your spirit out upon me and despite all my inadequacies, work supernaturally and uh, penetrate our hearts and penetrate our minds in ways that matter the most. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen and amen. So, as I said, this is the fourth week of our series, and I've been saying week after week that God wants to make you and your life fruitful in this new year, 2021, right where you have landed in life. And when we look around us, particularly here in America, we've landed in some really tough places. We've got the pandemic and the affliction and sickness and our lives are being touched by death and unemployment and the toxicity of the politics around us and broken relationships in our home and God's and, and among our family members. And God is saying, yes, right where you are, right where you've landed, I want to make your life impactful. Somebody shout impactful, impactful, fruitful right there. But what that means is that you and I, we've got to be a part of God's process. And as I've said before, that God's process is really a process that has everything to do with his redeeming work in the world. That whether you recognize it or not, God is at work in the world. He's working to make things better. All of, this, all of the stuff that's going around and, and he's at work and he wants to be at work in your life, making your life better. So if you want a new beginning, you've got to be connected to God's process. And I've said over the last few weeks that the first step in this process is to forget that God wants to teach us how to forget, how to let go, how to say goodbye to old hurts and wounds that's, that's blocking his future for our lives. The second step is that God is saying you got to get focused. You just can't be aimlessly kind of moving around through life. And, and, and he needs to get you focused in order for him to accomplish what he wants to accomplish in this new year in your life and in my life. So this is the second week where we talked, last week we talked about what it meant to get focused. Today I want to talk about how to both get and stay focused. Now, let me just catch you up before we read the text here. Uh, we're learning our insights about uh, focusing from the life of Joseph. And very, very quickly, uh, the life and the story of Joseph starts in Genesis chapter 37. Uh, conflict between him and his brothers uh, ends up with him being them selling him into slavery and and uh, he ultimately ends up as a servant in a Potiphar's house in Egypt and he is uh, lied on and that ends him up in prison for well over two years in the meantime the pharaoh the leader of the most powerful country uh, in the world at that time Egypt uh, has a dream that is disturbing. He sees these healthy seven cows coming up out of the Nile River and then uh, unhealthy seven cows come up behind them and, and destroy them, eat them. And then he sees these healthy seven stalks of grain come up out of the Nile River and then seven unhealthy stock comes behind them and destroys them. He can't find anyone on his team to interpret this dream. Somebody remembers Joseph and they bring Joseph in front of him out of prison and brings him to Pharaoh and Pharaoh says, look, I hear you can interpret dreams. And, and Joseph's response ultimately is, no, actually I can't, but God can interpret dreams. And, and the insight here is if you really want to get uh, have a new beginning uh, with a plan to be focused on, 
that ought to start between you and God. You got to start checking in with God and, and, and discern the mind of God. So evidently, uh, Joseph spent some time with God and comes back to the king, to Pharaoh, and he says, look, I, okay, here's what God has revealed about the meaning of that dream. And here it is right here. The next seven years will be a period of great prosperity, Joseph says, throughout the land of Egypt. But after there will be uh, seven years of famine, so great that all the prosperity will be forgotten in Egypt. Famine will destroy the land. And it's out of this context we, we learn a lot about how to, how to devise a, a life-transforming plan and how to focus. Now, before we jump into that, I just want to bring your attention to this prayer that Dr. King, last week was, uh, we commemorated Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, life. And here is a prayer out of all the studying I've done. I just ran across this last week, and it was so, tra- so meaningful uh, when, it, when, it, when, when I think about what it means to try to, to connect with God's plan for my life and be focused. Listen to what Dr. King prays. Use me, God. Show me how to take who I am, who I want to be, and what I can do and use it for a purpose greater than myself. Can somebody just say, wow, that's a prayer to get you and to get me focused. God, what do you want to do with my, not what I want to do, but what do you want to do with my life? Now, here's the deal. I want to take the next 15 minutes and move fairly quickly. And I just want to walk you through what I kind of call the, the anatomy of being focused, right? How to get focused and how to stay focused, whether you're working on a small project or a big project. And then I want to spend the latter part of this teaching time really kind of talking about where we are here in America, having installed a new, uh, inaugurated a new administration, all the hurt and pain, the visions around that. And, and what God has to say to us in this moment. So first, let me just talk to you about these four steps for getting and staying focused. All right. Here's the first step. You want to make sure that you have clear goals. Focus has everything to, uh, to do with having clear goals. And there's two insights up under this. It's very quickly. One, when I say clear goals, you want to know what by when what do I want to do and when do I want to do it by and secondly you want to make sure you're writing it down you know I have a good friend who used to say that if it's not in writing it does not exist statistics say that if I write something down I have a 70% more chance of actually achieving it executing it than just leaving it kind of hanging around floating in my head and if you're trying to discern God's plan for your life you want to write it down all right. The second, uh, uh, let me just point this out. So what did the goal look like for, for Joseph in Scripture? Well, here's his goal. To successfully leave Egypt through the next 14 years. The what was? To lead Egypt. The time frame was 14 years. <laughs> you need to spend some time with God. Say, God, what do you want to do with my life for the next year? What do you want to do with my life for the next five years? Listen to what God is saying. The second is I want to challenge you uh, that you want to develop uh, what we call a smart process uh, and identify your wins. Now, I'm going to tell you the, why I want you to do this. This, what I'm going to explain to you, is really the difference between wishful thinking 
and executing a plan that can actually transform your life and that will allow God to use your life to change the world around you. And we call it SMART because of the, the initials here uh, gives you clue to, to, the, to the specificity and the insight of this plan. So whatever process you have, number one, that's tied to achieving your goals. Number one, it needs to be specific. Number two, it needs to be measurable. Number three, attainable. Number four, relevant. It's got to be responding to a challenge or circumstance that you have in your life. And finally, time-based. You know, uh, I want to get this done by when? Let's take a look at the smart process that Joseph developed. And, 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 uh, and, and let me just talk it through. You'll find Joseph's smart uh, process in Genesis 41, uh, verses uh, 31 through 36. All right, 33 through 36. So, so he says to Pharaoh, listen. Uh, so Pharaoh says, so what do I do? So Joseph says, well, here's what God has revealed to me. Uh, first of all, you need to appoint a wise leader who's going to oversee Egypt and lead, him, lead it through. Uh, drive a plan over the next 14 years. The Pharaoh looks at Joseph and says, you're the man. You got the job. And secondly, you need to appoint some supervisors, kind of regional directors throughout Egypt to oversee uh, the rest of the plan, of the process. Uh, that's done. And then what they're going to be overseeing are these steps. One, they got to make sure that during the seven abundant, prosperous years that they're collecting and storing one-fifth of all of the crops, of all the harvest. Secondly, they need to store that surplus in all of the major cities throughout Egypt. And then lastly, uh, they need to appoint guards to protect uh, those storage facilities that have all the surplus stored in. All right, so let's check this out. Is the, is the process specific? Oh, yes. Put somebody in charge. Get supervisors. Check, check. All right. Uh, is it measurable? Yes, yes. Check. Uh, is, is, is it um, attainable? Yes. Is it, is, it, is it relevant to a circumstance we're dealing with? Yes. Is there a time frame? Yes. We've got to get this done in seven years so that we're ready for the last seven years. Now, check this out. <laughs> By the way, they wrote this down, and I know that Joseph is, is writing down and checking off. So somebody shout, write it down. Shout, check it out. Check it off. Now, here's the deal. This kind of planning, following this process, staying focused this way, enabled God to use Joseph to save the lives of several million people, both in Egypt and around Egypt. Having this kind of intentionality in the, for God's plan in your life allows him to use your life in incredible ways, in small ways and big ways. You want to have a smart process. The next uh, uh, point here, I want to suggest that you want to be able to minimize and manage your distractions. You want to be able to look, you develop your plan, develop your process, then look down and see, okay, now where are the distractions going to come from? And let me make sure I strategize for those distractions, anticipate and plan for them. Here's what, here's what the distraction looked like for Joseph, right? Here's the text. This famine will be so severe Joseph is explaining in the last seven years that even the memory of the good years will be erased. So God has given Joseph foresight. He says, look, you got seven really good years, but here, the real distraction is going to be here. The famine is going to be so horrendous, you're going to even forget the good. So you've got to prepare to manage those seven famine adverse years. Let me just give you a real quick example of what this looks like in terms of your planning. Our family, we have prioritized having dinner together 
are, you know, multiple times during the course of the week. And usually uh, I'd show up and I'd have my phone and I'd put my phone off to the side, but all of the different notifications would be going off and I'd find myself looking and talking and looking and talking. Distraction. Can somebody say distraction? So now I don't bring my phone with me. I leave my phone in the bedroom. So when I show up at the table, I am fully and completely engaged with my family. I figured out that that's a distraction and I'm managing it and minimizing it. What about your life? Last point here, number four, the fourth step. So the first, make sure you're clear about your goals. Uh, Second, make sure you've got a smart process. Third, make sure you're managing your uh, distractions. And then fourthly, make sure that you learn how to obsess over the process, not the product. Just say, 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 obsess over the process, not the product. All right, so here's the deal for Joseph. Joseph could not control how much harvest would grow out of the ground. He couldn't control that. He could not control the frequency of the rain and the, and the, and the combination of the, of the climate conditions that would produce an abundant harvest. Uh, he had no control of that. God just simply said, here's my word. I'm going to bring the harvest. You focus on the process, Joseph. And so he had to obsess on the process. He had to make sure he had the right supervisors in place. He had to make sure that they were uh, uh, on time collecting the one-fifth of the crops that they were, they, were, they were storing it correctly and week by week and year by year obsessing over the process let me give you one more practical example that comes straight out of my life about what it means to obsess over the process listen over the last what nine months i've left i've lost and kept off 12 pounds somebody say praise the lord and i can just tell you and listen i want to talk about this for a moment because we're all struggling with some pandemic piles somebody ought to say amen (laughs) and i can tell you that checking the scale every day the product is the wrong focus. You've got to upset. You've got to, you, you've got to obsess over the process, right? I, I had to make sure that all cakes and pies and ice cream and, 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 and all of the, the high carb stuff that we, is out of the house, right? Process. I had to make sure I'm managing how often I'm eating during the course of the day. Process that I'm not eating after 8 o'clock, that I'm not eating before 9 a.m. Process. I had to make sure that I'm, I'm out walking two to three miles, try to get out there four to five times a week on a daily basis. Process. If I f- obsess over the process, then I check my weight once or twice a month. I leave the product to God. I obsess, somebody ought to say amen, over the process. You got it. All right. So I offer that to you in terms of just some good insight on how to focus. Now, here's a great word about God you want to lean in. This is a super exciting word about God. Check this out. God is always focused. Do you hear what I said? God is always focused. And because God is always focused, God's focus should comfort us. It should bring some comfort to your life. And, 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 and here's, here's Romans 8, 28 kind of underscores this point. Check this out, what Paul says. And we know that God causes everything to work together. He didn't say God causes everything, but God causes everything to work together. The good, the bad, the mishaps, the mistakes, all of that. He causes all that to work together for the good, for those who love God and who are called according. Here's, here's the goal right here. 
according to his purpose for their lives. That's the focus point right there. And when we look at Joseph's life, we see that, that, that yes, come on now, yes, evil and the unexpected and the unplanned can, dist- can, can, can uh, disrupt the plan of God, can delay the plan of God, but it cannot, they cannot distract God's focus. He stays focused. So Joseph is, ends up uh, in the hands of, of the Ismailites, but God stays focused. He ends up in part of a house, but God stays focused. He ends up in prison, but God stays focused. He keeps moving, and, but, but he needs Joseph's participation. And what Joseph has to be in a position to say that I'm surrendered to God in whatever my circumstances, that I'm trying to be faithful to God. I'm open to be faithful to God in whatever my circumstances. So, so this ought to bring you comfort, right? If your life lands you in divorce, if life lands you in the hospital, if life lands you in prison, if life lands you in unemployment, it may disrupt, it may delay, but it cannot stop God's plan for your life if you would but participate with him and be, somebody shout, faithful, faithful. The second point about God being focused is that it ought to challenge us. Somebody shout challenge. It, it ought to challenge us because from God's perspective, his number one focal point is, all, has all, is always about relationships. He's focused on relationships and he wants our number one focus that prayer that Dr. King was praying, you know, the, the, the answer to that prayer is that God's number one focus for him would be on relationships, on people, you see. You know, a young man came up to Jesus and they asked him, uh, tried to put Jesus on the phone, asked him, said, listen, what's the most important commandments out of all? Jesus doesn't miss a beat, right? He quickly says in Matthew uh, chapter 22, here's what he says. You must, somebody, somebody shout must. Write that in the chat, must. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. Well, why would he say you must love God, right? Is God egotistical that he's just demanding all of the attention? No. God knows that that which we love the most shapes our values and vision about who we are and who we become. And what we know about God is that God is selfless. God is redemptive. God is forgiving. That God is love. And for those of us who love God above all, what that means is that ultimately it means that we become selfless. We become redemptive in how we live our lives. That we become people who forgive and who love radically. That's what it means to love God first. And then, of course, the next part of the verse comes when he says, and by the way, you need to love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love others. Relationships. Somebody shout relationships. That's the priority uh, from God's perspective. Now, uh, why am I making this big deal as we talk about relationships? Listen, over the last couple of weeks, I've heard nothing but hurt after hurt centered a lot around the election. Uh, I've heard about families breaking up with family members, friends breaking off their relationships. And for those who are not breaking up and having issues with people that they should be loving around the election, they're having issues with people they should be loving around money. Are they having issues with people that they should be loving around grief? Are they having issues with people that they ought to be loving around dispute, around property? And the list goes on and on and on. 
And what God wants you to hear today is that your number one priority and whatever it is that you're called to do ought to be relationships. And it begins with loving your family and those who are close. And let me just say a word, a pointed word politically. God forbid that those of you who are hurt and, and, and upset around the election, respectfully, that God forbid that you would allow a president, whether it be Mr. Trump or whether it be Mr. Biden, that God forbid that you would allow someone that you have never met, that you probably will never meet, who wouldn't recognize your picture in a lineup, cause you to shadow relationships with people that you've known all of your life, people who, who, who've been there for you, who've taken care of your kids, who, who've counseled you through really tough times. God says that if there's any of us, come on, driving that kind of brokenness for political reasons or any of those other reasons, God, is, you, you just got to hear that God is not pleased. It's not proud. And I want to sp- make sure that Jesus follow us who have this high standard to live, that you, you lean in here. Because we should be leading in this thing called love across all these different challenges. Uh, you know, there's a lot of debate talking about what's truth. They say, well, I don't know. I listen to CNN. They're debating about what's true and what's, what's the truth and what's the lie. Fox is doing the same thing. The, New, the Washington Post the New York Times. Well, his, his God says, here's where we ought to start, especially Jesus followers, when we think about processing, you know, <laughs> what's true and what's authentic, right? What can we trust? Here's, here's what God, here's what we learn in 1 John 4, 20. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister, you're a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, come on now, whom they have seen, who they're hanging out with, but cannot, who, who they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. So God is saying, look, this is a moment in life, in our country, when we need to prioritize relationships and begin to love people. You know, um, we see this materialized in the story of Joseph very quickly. You know, all of the ups and downs and all of the, you see a lot of power, you see a lot of money, you see all kinds of things going on in the story of Joseph, you see his position at the end. But ultimately, God never loses sight that his, his top priority through all of that was to figure out how to bring 12 brothers back together who got who relationships were shattered. Shattered by jealousy and envy and anger and unforgiveness and misunderstanding. And so towards the end of Joseph's story, those of you who've read, you know, uh, people begin to come to Egypt from all over the place because Egypt is the only place because of the plan that Joseph stayed focused on and drove. Egypt is the only place that's got the grain and food and they're feeding not just their people but people from surrounding countries. And Jacob, Joseph's father, who he hasn't seen in 13 years, hears about this food in Egypt. So he sends 10 of his boys, go to Egypt and get some food because we're starving to death here in Canaan. And when the boys get there, Joseph recognized his, his brothers but they don't recognize him so he puts them through some tests and then ultimately they end up uh, in Joseph this powerful man's uh, home sitting around his table at his invitation 
And it's at that moment that Joseph decides, I can't take it no more. I've got to, I've got to reveal who I am. And so he takes the, 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 the Egyptians and he puts them out of the room. And here's what the text says. Listen to what the text says. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it all over the place. I'm praying that as I'm preaching this, that some of you who have been instrumental in breaking off relationships with siblings, breaking off relationships with friends, whether it's because of politics or because of some other crazy stuff going on in life, that at this very moment that you're beginning to, to weep because you're recognizing that, there, that the value of your relationship is irreplaceable. And then the text says, Joseph says to his brothers, I am Joseph, is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified of his presence. They're like, wow, this is Joseph. He's alive. They're remembering what they did to him. Remember, Joseph is the injured party here. For those of you who are listening, he's in, he was the one who was sold into slavery. He was the one who had 13 years up, up and down. And now his brothers are there and they're like, he's going to use his power to punish us. Why? Because that's what secular folk do. That's how people, they use their power. But Joseph was different than secular people. He was, a, he, he, he was the faithful of God. And listen to what the text says. Listen to what the text says. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. Some of you who've broken off relationships for this reason or that reason, you need to finish this message, pick up your phone, call, text, reach out to some sibling, to some friend, to some person in your church that you've stopped talking to for whatever the reason is, and you need to say to them, God said to me through the preacher, come close to me. I'm calling you. Let's, we got to get close. When they had done so, he said, listen, I'm your brother Joseph. Yes, the one that you sow into Egypt. I, but I'm not holding that over your head. I've learned how to let stuff go, right? And now, do not be distressed. Do you know that some of you can't be in the room with one another because the tension and the stress rises because you're always engaging in this horrible, toxic politics of some of the other broken family dynamics from years ago that's been dead for years, but you haven't let it go? But Joseph said, shows us here, this, don't be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. In other words, I'm not even going to use guilt to beat you up with here. I'm not using guilt. This is because, you know what? It was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. And so I'm saying to you, listen, God is saying to somebody, you need to come close. You need to tell, you need to initiate bringing people back into your life. And here's what it looks like to come close. Number one, it means to just agree to disagree over some of the details, guys. Can you imagine the distinction of the details between Joseph brothers' part of the story and Joseph's story? You read chapter 37, you hear about the favoritism of the father. You hear about how horrible it made the brothers feel. Do you know that there has to be something horribly broken inside of you if 10 brothers decide to sell their other brother into slavery, something has to be horribly broken. And I'm sure that Joseph cited it so. You know the pain that he experienced, but, but, but implicit in the story is Joseph's point here. You know what? Let's just agree to disagree. We won't even get into those details. You know, so some of you guys, you just need to bury some of these details, bury them so that you can move forward together. And then secondly, give up your right to punish Joseph was the one that was wounded. It was his right to punish. 
And some of you, you're refusing to talk or you're mean and growling when you are engaging with family members and loved ones, whether it's because of politics or because of some other family stuff or church stuff, right? And ultimately, that's your way of punishing people. But, but people of God, people of faith, people who follow Jesus, we're called to give up that right. Now, I'm not talking about the criminal justice system here, by the way, but I'm talking about interpersonal relationship. Follow Joseph Lee and say, I'm not going to punish you. And then lastly, come on, forgive and let go. And how does Joseph execute forgiving and let go so he can move, into forward? How, move forward? How? How does he do it? Well, he says, what you meant for evil, God has turned it for good. What, what, what he realized was that God was on the throne, that, that God had the last word over what would happen in his life, that it was God and God alone, come on now, who he served, and God had blessed him in spite of all, despite the stuff, right? And so, and so whether it's politics or whether it's personal stuff in your house, you've got to decide, uh, come on now, who's going to be the ultimate God in your life? And do you trust God to have the last word? And do you trust God to work his will out? And if that's the case, you got to go to God and empty your heart of the anguish and the hatred and, and turn back towards those that you've turned away. God is talking to someone today. Let me end this here as we finish. Uh, I, I, I want to just give you, let me just tell you about this vision. So ultimately, your vision for life, your vision for life should be shaped by a desire to serve God and, and your values at the very top of them you should be prioritizing relationships you know uh, earlier this week we commemorated the 400,000 people who've lost their lives to COVID so we're cognizant of death now right I told you last week that we ought to always begin with the end in mind and Here's what we know about death. That death will either distract you or focus you. And uh, when I was in college and my grandaunt died in my second year in college for the first half of that, that semester, I was just a wreck. Her death distracted me. But then I realized that the whole point of the second half of her life raising me was so that I would get to college and take that college education and become somebody for God. And from that point forward, I, I turned my life around and you hear me talk about her all the time because she remains the inspiration behind my focus. So I want to say to those of you who've lost loved ones, let that loss focus you on making your days on the earth plentiful, meaningful. The last thing I want to say, guys, those of you who got broken relationships, I've been a pastor for, th for over like 30 years. I've been in hospital rooms and at the bedsides of people who are dying. I've had tough conversations with people who knew they were going to be dying over the next week or two weeks or three weeks. And in none of those conversations has anyone ever said to me on their deathbed, anything about their concern about the President of the United States. No one has ever said on their deathbed anything about their concern about how much money they have. 
or how much clothes they have in the closet. Do you know what inevitably comes up? Relationships. I wish I had spent more time. I hope that that child or that spouse knows just how much I love them. I wish I had a reconcile when I had a chance. God's talking to somebody right now and he's saying begin with a thought about the end. How do you want to end? Prioritize relationships. Jesus help us to hear this message with our whole heart, with our whole minds and help us to respond in Jesus name. Amen and amen. All right, listen, let's just go to the next steps real quickly. If you go to our, in, the ne- in your app, you'll see the connection card. If you go to the connection card, you've got three real options. One is, did you want to follow Jesus or return to following Jesus? And for some people, you've made a profession of faith in Jesus, but you really need to turn your heart back to Jesus as it relates to how you're treating people in your life. And others may want some more information. And then I want you to look at the response to the message. Man, I hope you can check this. I hope you can make this commitment that I will forgive and get focused. What does it mean to get focused? It begins with first with God and second with your relationships to hear the plan that God has for you. And then lastly, take a picture of this reflection question. To whom do you need to say, come close to me? And I'll see you next week. Lord willing. I can't tell you how excited I am that you were part of this teaching. I pray that it was both a blessing and challenge to you. And I encourage you to share it with your family and friends. And make sure you get back here next week for the third step in God's process to give us a new beginning and a brand new year. uh, Embracing the new. Also, if you want to know whenever we, when we go live uh, in terms of live worship, make sure you go ahead and push the notification bell on our Facebook page and on our Facebook app. And next week, if you want to be a part of our virtual baptism, take that next step of discipleship. Go ahead and sign up today as well. If you're interested in engaging in our Reveal Virtual Bible Study, you can sign up for that as well.